What's up, Dolphin fans? Welcome to the same old Dolphin show. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. What's up, Dolphin fans? Brain, at long last, the 2017 Miami Dolphins season is at an end. Ending at home with a 22-16 to loss to the Buffalo Bills, a game in which David Fales was the quarterback for all but the opening possession of the game for the Miami Dolphins. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously not a whole lot to take away from that game except to say it was the second game, second time this season against the Bills, the second time in three weeks that the Dolphins had the ball with a chance to tie or win the game late in the game after recovering an onside kick and the game ended in an interception. But I mean, really, it was kind of, I don't know, I thought it was a pretty appropriate way to wrap up the season with the defense sort of being underwhelming. Um, a lot of boneheaded penalties, um, and an absolute mental blow up on the field that saw Jarvis Landry and Kenyon Drake ejected from the game. <laughs> it was a, a thrilling conclusion to the season, a season that saw the Dolphins finish at six and 10, third place in the AFC East. And I mean, a season that I have to say, was disappointing even after knowing that we were coming into the season with Jay Cutler as your starting quarterback. I think it's still a disappointing end to the season because I thought we were we were hopeful that things were going to go a little bit better with Cutler as the quarterback. I, I don't know that either of us had incredibly high expectations for Jay Cutler, but we thought that he'd at the very least be a good game manager and and keep the Dolphins competing. But what we discovered throughout the course of the season was that the Dolphins are not a team that is particularly deep. So they are not a team that can deal with a whole lot of injuries and that they were not nearly as complete um, of a team as we maybe thought that they could have been at the beginning of the season. Um, Brain, initial thoughts on the season as a whole. Before we talk about where we go from here, just give me your initial takeaways at the end of a 6-10 and 10 Miami Dolphins season. I think the initial takeaway is really, <laughs> I, I mean, there is there really any other way to say it than this is the same old Dolphins team. Uh, it's an 8-8 eight and eight team. Uh, we, we knew going into the year that this was a mediocre team and that they were going to be one of, you know, every year I, I like to say that there is about six really, really good teams, six really, really bad teams, and then 20 teams that are in the middle that those 20 teams could go anywhere from six and 10 to 10 and six. And some are some of them are going to sneak into the playoffs, and some of them are going to have a few bounces go against them, and they'll end up being six and ten and looking like a bad team. And I think that's what the Dolphins were. Um, that was my initial takeaway. When you really kind of delve into the numbers, though, you kind of wonder 
was this an eight and eight team that fell short and went six and ten? Or was this a four and twelve team that found a way to win a couple of games that ended up getting to six and ten in spite of the lack of talent? I'll tell you what they have. I'll tell you what, I would I would say that the latter is probably the case because when you when you look at the numbers and you look at the individual performances in a lot of these games, it's it's kind of surprising that they won as many games as they did. Remember how surprised we were when this team was four and two? That the team had actually managed to right. win four games. Those right. those victories over um the Tennessee Titans with uh who was who was their quarterback that we Ryan Mallett? No, it was uh, uh no, they had uh Matt Castle. I think it was Matt Castle. Yeah, I think it was Matt Castle. I think it was um, Matt Castle. You know, against the Matt Castle-led Tennessee Titans team, the Dolphins struggled to a 16 to 10 victory. Uh an impressive fourth quarter comeback allowed them to beat the Atlanta Falcons and then they had another big comeback against the Jets. Uh their their opening week victory over the Chargers was, you know, they were a missed field goal away from losing that game. Right. You know, and then they lost, what, five in a row? And then they went on to lose five in a row before an emphatic win over the Broncos that really wasn't as emphatic as the 35-9 to scoreline would lead you to believe. Um, it was just they were playing against the Broncos team that was just completely... Um, ineffective on offense. So they were able to win that game fairly easily. And then they had what was easily their best performance of the season um, on December 11th against the Patriots, a game that they still managed to hold on to, to win 27 to 20. That was, I think, easily the Dolphins highlight of the season, um, at least as far as an all around game goes. But yeah, I think I would say that this team is much closer to being a four and 12 team, at least based on what, based on the eye test this season, I think this team was closer to being four and 12 than they were to be an eight and eight. Yeah. I mean, look, you could, you could go forever and talk about what ifs and talk about, are they a four and 12, six and 10, eight and eight. The, the fact is, is that it's all the same is what it comes down to is that this was a mediocre team. Um, and that's, that's the biggest takeaway is that, uh, look, they had a lot of adversity coming into the season, uh, coming out of training camp, obviously losing Tannehill, losing their starting middle linebacker, losing, uh, a corner in, in Tony Lippett that was going to be, uh, if not a starter, a very regular part of their rotation. Uh, you also, you cut a guy in Byron Maxwell who came into the year as a starting corner. Um, th- these are guys that were supposed to play key roles on this team uh, who either did not play a down or were not on the team basically a month into the season. You also had you know, the Lawrence Timmons thing at the beginning of the year. Lots of adversity. You, you had Mike Pouncey, who didn't seem to be healthy 
un- until kind of late in the season he kind of put it together. So you wonder, did they did they rush a Mike Pouncey back? And, you know, how how high a percentage of himself was he through like the first half of the season and how much of a difference is that? Uh, so there were a lot of things working against them. And also uh, a, diff- a more difficult schedule because you were playing, uh, you know, because you were a playoff team last year. You weren't a last place team or, or a third place team playing a third place schedule. You were playing uh, a first place schedule. And, a, and not only that, but you were also playing against the NFC South, which turned out to be arguably the best conference in football this year. And granted, the Dolphins still managed to go two and two or no, they didn't go two and two. They, they managed to, to beat Atlanta, but then they went on and and lost to Tampa Bay, which should have been the only game that the Dolphins won against that division. So, you know, there were some things working against them, so it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be terribly surprising to me though. The biggest takeaway was this was a mediocre team and we all thought coming into the year, well, I shouldn't say that we all thought. I think the fan base was kind of split as to what did we think Ryan Tannehill was as a starting quarterback? Because we all wanted to see what this team would look like with a different starting quarterback, whether it was Matt Moore or, as it turned out, to be Jay Cutler. And it wasn't because we necessarily thought that those guys were better than Ryan Tannehill, but we thought there's not much difference between Ryan Tannehill and Matt Moore or Jay Cutler. And that may be the other thing. The other biggest takeaway is that perhaps Ryan Tannehill is a significant upgrade over those guys which is something that I don't think anybody would have said. You might have said that Ryan Tannehill is better than those guys, but I don't think you would have said that Ryan Tannehill is significantly better than Jay Cutler or Matt Moore going into this season. And after seeing what we saw this year, and it's not as if the quarterback play, you know, cost them a ton of games. But there were at least a couple where you could look at it and say, well, you know, maybe if Ryan Tannehill was in this game, we win this game. And so, yeah, that's another takeaway that I that I would say is that, uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill, while I still do not believe that he is in any way an elite quarterback and I still have my questions as to whether he is a quote unquote franchise quarterback. I do believe that Ryan Tannehill is good enough to win with if you have the gr- a good enough team around him. I do not feel like any team that you put around Jay Cutler or Matt Moore is going to be good enough to be a playoff team. I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. I would certainly argue that absolutely Ryan Tannehill is a good enough quarterback to win with if you build put a good team around him. I mean... Blake Bortles is playing a home football game as the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And 
I would say that Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback than Blake Bortles. But brain, before we get into conversations about what we're hoping to see in the off season, I think before we put 2017 to bed, I, I we all know it was a very frustrating season. There were a lot of I was going to say there were a lot of ups and downs, but they were primarily downs this season. And and if you followed along this season with us, uh, which we thank you very much for um, being with us here at the same old dolphin show in our inaugural season um, and following us on Twitter, which you should all be doing at same old dolphins uh, and at Aaron, the brain at amplified to rock. Um, before we put the season to bed, I think it's important that we look back and give three big positives that you have coming out of the 2017 season. Three positive things that the Dolphins have, or that, or three positive things that came out of the 2017 season. You sort of gave us the one with, um, you know, realizing that Ryan Tannehill is a significant upgrade over anybody else in the Dolphin system as far as quarterbacks go at the moment. But what are- I don't know that that's necessarily a great positive thing. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's it's cool. It means that, you know, maybe Ryan Tannehill's not bad. But if Ryan, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill is a significant upgrade over everybody else that you have, then maybe the, the argument there, you could turn you could spin that as a negative and say, well, then you need to draft a quarterback. Yeah, well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it during the off season that Ryan Tannehill is quite frankly, still a question mark um, because now he's, you know, look, he's missed, he's missed over a year with a, with an injury. It's a question mark. If he can come back from his injury and be the guy that he was in 2016, he's not a question mark. And I think you can feel comfortable paying him forward. But anyway, we'll talk about that more in the off season, but give me, Give me your positive takeaways coming out of the 2017 season. What's number one? Number one, it's over. It was a brutal season. It was honestly one of the least enjoyable Dolphin seasons. It really was. It was, that a, I, it was a chore. I can ever remember. It because was. It's because they had expectations. And they fell so far below the expectations. And for the majority of the season, it was just disappointment and there was very little hope. There have been seasons where the Dolphins have had expectations and have fallen short and have missed the playoffs. But in those seasons, usually those Dolphins teams looked really good until December, and then they let you down at the end. This one kind of let you down out of the gate, yet somehow was still in position, and you kind of knew this team isn't very good, but their record is there. So you were still kind of like, all right, you know, maybe there's time for them to kind of turn it around and they've gutted out some victories and then they're going to finish strong and they will be a playoff team. But once they lost the five in a row, it was just, especially the Tampa Bay game, 
because they lost to a dreadful team at home. It was just, all right, this season is over. And it was over with a month left to play. And for a a season that had expectations, that's really disappointing. And it was, there was like, I mean, even when they were four and two, like I said, you didn't even feel good about it when they were four and two. And if you said going into the season that they were going to start four and two, you'd have felt pretty good about it. But the way that they got there was just, it was not enjoyable. It was certainly so, a slog to get through. I will, I will give you that. I, I, number and one, yeah. So, so that's my number one takeaway is positive takeaway. It's over. You can put it behind you because, like I said, there was a lot going against them, and it's done. It's over with. In a lot of ways, this season is a throwaway season. You, you can't throw away everything. But in a lot of ways, it is a throwaway season. It's it, You kind of knew that when Ryan Tannehill got hurt. You knew that if they didn't have good quarterback play behind him. Now, we thought maybe Jay Cutler or maybe Matt Moore was going to give them quality quarterback plays or, or at least quarterback play comparable to that of Ryan Tannehill. But once that became evident that that wasn't going to happen, I mean, at that point, it's a lost season. So it didn't matter if they went six and ten or eight and eight or nine and seven. You know, I guess if they would have found a way to get to the playoffs with this team, that'd have been pretty incredible. But but really it would it, it wouldn't have meant anything. So that's my number one positive takeaway is it's over and we don't need to sit through any more Dolphins games. Now, um a little less tongue in cheek. My next positive takeaway is that I think you saw some growth from some young players that makes you feel like you've got some hope going forward. And that is, and those guys in particular, Kenyon Drake and Xavier Howard. If Xavier Howard, I mean, Xavier Howard for about half the season was one of the worst starting cornerbacks in the league. And this was surprising because he had a really good rookie year. But over the second half of the season, he was one of the better starting cornerbacks in the league. So while you'd like to see a little bit more consistency and you'd like to say, and, you, and you'd like to know that he's more of what he is in the second half than in the first half of the season. And we can't definitively say that we know that. You feel better seeing growth at the end of the season than you do if, you, if he would have started the season strong and then regressed as other teams got a book on him. Because you're still talking about a young player. And you want to see him moving in the right direction and ascending as opposed to descending. And I would say that I feel pretty good about Xavier Howard being a, a quality starting cornerback in this league going forward. And Kenyon Drake, a guy who was, you know, he looked pretty good in very small doses backing up Jay Ajayi last year but didn't really get much of an opportunity. Once Ajayi got traded, and then especially when Damian Will Williams got hurt, 
and Kenyon Drake was forced to carry the load, Kenyon Drake played at darn near a Pro Bowl level, you know, for the last month or so of the season. So you got to feel pretty good about that. Um, and, you know, so I, I would say that those are the young guys that really stood out. There were some other good young players that, you know, had decent seasons and, and showed that, you know, maybe they could be nice players. Charles Harris showed some promise as a pass rusher. Devon Godchouse showed some promise as an interior defensive lineman, but these guys didn't really make a huge impact. So I think those guys are still huge question marks, but it's nice to know that you have a couple of young players that uh, really arguably broke through. And so uh, that to me was another positive takeaway. And for me, the last positive takeaway is that the team didn't quit. I have been very critical of Adam Gase all year long. And this was a bad year for him. If I was grading him out, I would probably give him a D. But the reason that Adam Gase doesn't get an F, in spite of almost every decision that he made backfiring, is because in spite of all of it, the team continued to play hard. And that shows me that he still has their attention and that he hasn't lost the locker room. And so going forward, look, there's going to be some roster turnover going into next year, but there's probably going to be a, I mean, there's not probably, there's going to be a significant amount of these same players that are back next year. And by, by and large, they all played hard until the end of the season. And that is a very positive thing because if they had not played hard, if they were giving up, then I think we'd have major question marks as to whether Adam Gase could lose this locker room very early in 2018. And while I, I still think that that's possible, I don't think that that's the case at this point. Well, that's uh, those are some three good Good positive takeaways. I, I have to say the big thing that I was going to mention, probably the biggest one that I had was uh, the play of Kenyon Drake and Xavier Howard towards the end of the season. Coming out of coming out of this year, those were two guys that just you, you felt really good about those performances from those young guys. It's, it seems like it seems like most of the time the Dolphins have young talent that just seems to not quite get to where you want them to be. But these two guys, their performances this season were great, uh, particularly down the stretch. Um, so yeah, that's a big positive heading into this big 2018 off season here. And I guess that brings us to the next question that we have, which is we, we in a discussion that we were having um, over the last few days, uh, we were talking about if this six and ten Dolphins team is able to turn it around and get to nine and seven next year, and let's say make a win a wild card spot, but lose in the first round of the playoffs, is that an improvement 
or rather rather than saying it's an improvement because obviously it is an improvement is it a step in the right direction or is it coming up short is it failure yeah so to me it depends how they get there because they're coming into this off season with not very much cap room um, there, there are a couple of ways for them to get some more cap room. Uh, one of them would be a, a huge one would be if they're able to restructure and Dominican Sue's contract that, that could free up upwards of about $10 million. Do you think that is cap? likely for a guy that was probably the defensive MVP for this team this season? Well, I think it, the way that it would work and my understanding of this is, what they would have to do is they'd have to not only spread out more of his uh, guaranteed money, which would alleviate some of the cap space. But if they were to do that and he was to agree to that, probably what they would have to do is end up paying him more money. So it would probably um, free up some space, but not quite as much space. Um, I think there's some middle ground there that makes sense. But now here's the argument. It's what do you do with that cap space? Because if if what you're doing is you're restructuring Indomitian Sue's contract to free up more space for this year, ultimately you're pushing that off to a, a year from now, to two years from now. And it means you're going to be in that same problem two years from now, three years from now, where you're paying him an exorbitant amount of money for one season. And what are you going to do with the money that you save? Now, is that money going to go towards keeping Jarvis Landry? Or is that money going to go towards keeping Jarvis Landry and then freeing up like another six to eight million dollars you know, you cut Julius Thomas and then you go out and you sign another big splashy free agent and you manage to backload his contract and you and you sign another free agent and you manage to backload their contract so that three years from now we're going to be in salary cap hell. But this year we're all in towards trying to win because I look at this team and I say, look, there's only so many pieces you can add with the limited amount of cap space that they have. And there's not going to be a whole lot. By and large, when you talk about free agents, you're overpaying for guys that teams deemed not worthy of a contract extension. So you end up paying a lot of money for good players, but the truly great players are very rarely free agents. And if they are, they're very, very costly. And usually they're at a point in their career where you end up getting them for two really good years and then you end up overpaying for them when they're over the hill. And so in order for the doll, if, if that's their plan is to go out and try to go all in towards next season and then they end up going nine and seven or 10 and six and then they make the playoffs and they get beat in the first or second round. And don't and in spite of going ten and six and making the playoffs and even if they win a game, still don't look to be appreciably closer to being 
an actual Super Bowl contender, then no, that is absolutely the worst thing that could happen because it's fool's gold. It's going to put them in salary cap hell. And it's going to mean that three years down the line, they're going to need an absolute gutting of the roster. Now, if they take a patient approach, and this is where I kind of wanted to address a tweet that was directed toward, it was it was tweeted at us, at Same Old Dolphins, uh, from at Noah's a dork. And I got great, this, this is, one. This is a great Twitter handle, by the way, Noah. Well done. <laughs> at Noah's a dork. He said he, he apologizes because it, he realized afterwards that it came across as snarky. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's addressing me when he says, you are big on the quote unquote, have a few bad seasons and pick high to make a run in three to four years. My idea is you tell us which teams did this and are perennially competing for conference championships. Only caveat is they can't have had a coaching change in the middle. Well, I'm not even going to worry about the caveat because I, I feel like I'm being misrepresented and misunderstood. My point has never been that the Dolphins need to have three or four bad seasons, collect top five draft picks every year in order to rebuild the team. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they need to have some perspective when they go into the offseason that there is a difference between trying to win without mortgaging the future and going all in without regard for what happens two or three years down the line. This team has had a pattern for really since Dave Wanstat was here with Rick Spielman of thinking that they are right on the precipice of winning a Super Bowl and going out and making splashy free agent moves, trading away draft picks for high-priced players, trading up in the draft multiple times instead of acquiring more picks, and consistently trying to chase the playoffs even while knowing that they're not close to winning a Super Bowl. And this is where I, you know, after the Buffalo game and I found and we found out that Buffalo made the playoffs, I had the the tweet that said Buffalo making the playoffs only proves how pointless or only shows how pointless being the sixth seed in the playoffs truly is. Because Buffalo, while they're in the playoffs and the Dolphins are not, they're not anywhere closer to winning a Super Bowl than the Miami Dolphins are. They're they're virtually the same team. There are a couple of mediocre teams, and a couple more things went right for Buffalo, and a couple more things went wrong for Miami. But Buffalo's not winning the Super Bowl. They're not winning it this year. And if they're going to try to go out and make wholesale improvements next year in free agency, I got news for you. They're more than a couple of pieces away. Buffalo is going to take a step back next year because other teams are going to get better. And Buffalo is going to be the same. It, it Honestly, the Bills are very similar to the Dolphins. If it wasn't for the Dolphins making the – if it wasn't for Brett Favre 
<laughs> if, if it wasn't for Brett I'm really Favre curious as to where this retiring is retiring and then going and then the Green Bay Packers not allowing him to play in Green Bay so that and not allowing him to play in Minnesota so he had to go to the Jets so the Jets had to cut Chad Pennington if it wasn't for Brett Favre retiring and then unretiring the Dolphins would have had this horrendously long streak of not making the playoffs before last year. So the Bills are just this year's version of the Dolphins from last year. And so, you know, I know it's a long-winded, and I kind of went off on a tangent there. Well, are you are you saying that Tyrod Taylor is Chad Pennington? No. No, not at all. Okay. What I'm saying is that the Buffalo Bills are not anywhere near winning a Super Bowl. And they're not a Super Bowl contending team just because they made it to the playoffs. And so that is, in essence, the flaw of this Dolphins logic that we've seen over the past decade, where every time the Dolphins are close to making the playoffs, they go all in towards trying to be this 10-6 and team. But 10-6 and should not be the goal. The goal should be to be consistently a top team. And And this is where I'm misunderstood. I'm not saying that you need to strip down the whole roster and be the Browns for four years. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be patient in the approach and you need to build it the right way. And you need to use your draft picks, acquire picks, be smart, look at players. People are going to hate this. But I've been saying for a couple of years and. You know, it's amazing that Cameron Wake is still playing at the level that he is. At some point, Cameron Wake is not going to be amazing. And honestly, he started to decline this year. I mean, he's still very good, but he's not the Cameron Wake that he was three years ago. And next year, he's not going to somehow get better as he gets older. And so... You have to look at players like that, that right now are impact players for this team. But realistically, if we're not winning the Super Bowl this next year, and we're probably not winning it the year after, what kind of player is Cam Wake two, three years down the line? He's going to be almost 40. Right. And then you get yourself into that argument of, is loyalty to a player more important than right. winning and, the game? And, and, I, and I you say. have to say, and you, well, you look at you look at the New England Patriots, and and they get exactly. they get crap about this from their own fans the, all the time. They get they get crap for for cutting guys like a Vince Wilfork. But it's like for when you're in the New England Patriots system, the second the second you are not good enough to help that team win a Super Bowl anymore, you're not part of that team. And that you could see that the New England Patriots were ready to do that even with Tom Brady. The thing is, Tom Brady's not a human being and he somehow continues playing at top levels. And so they, the Patriots found themselves in a situation where they had to get rid of who was the heir apparent to Tom Brady. And so now they're in this situation where Tom Brady's going to probably be their quarterback for another couple of years regardless. But they do that. That's the thing that they do really well is when you're not good enough for them anymore, you're gone. No, that it's not even that. What the Patriots do is they realize two, three years before you're not going to be good enough. 
and they trade you and they get something of value back because they realize they, and it's not even players that are older. It's players that are good that they realize, you know, this guy is good, but he's going to be really expensive and we don't want to spend our resources on that. So before he becomes a free agent, you know, a year before, let's just get like a second or third round pick for this guy because, you know, he's a good player, but we've got somebody that can do a reasonable job in replacing him. And then we're not going to end up re-signing him because he's going to be too expensive to re-sign. So we're going to end up saving money and we're going to end up getting a high draft pick. And that's how you build because you, you have foresight. You don't go in every year and say, okay, who are the guys that we got to keep this year? No, there's got to be a long-term plan. And the problem with the Dolphins, and, and part of it is part of it is the media. Part of, part of it is the fans. Part of it is impatience because it, it all kind of it, – it breeds this – this attitude that you've got three years to win. And if you don't win in three years, you're going to lose your job. And so if you don't win in the first two years, everybody goes into job saving mode and it's no longer about having a long-term plan because nobody's got the job security to worry about five years from now. They're all worried about this year. So Adam Gase had this great, first year and seemed to build all this credibility where you said, all right, we found our guy. We were ready to crown him the next Don Shula and everything. And so he should have had job security, but maybe the guy at the top, Mike Tannenbaum did not because there were still people that doubted him. And now after such a disappointing year, Adam Gay's probably not on the hot seat because he's kind of getting a pass, even though I, I I don't know that he should get a total pass since the guy who replaced Ryan Tannehill was his guy. But he's getting a little bit of a pass because of the quarterback and because of the adversity. But if they have a bad season next year, he's going to definitely be on the hot seat. And Mike Tannenbaum is almost assuredly on the hot seat coming into this year. Because he's now been at the helm for three years and, you know, he took over a team that was perennially seven and nine, eight and eight. And now he's gotten what? What, what were, what were the Dolphins the last year of Philbin with Philbin and, uh, man Campbell? What the were year they, that they were, uh, let's see. I gotta pull that up here real quick. Let's see how I do. I believe continue, they were six continue to riff and I'll uh, anyway, then what you're looking at is you're looking at a 10 and six sandwiched around two, six and tens and a team that you can make the argument, you know, based on point differential was one of the four worst teams in the NFL this year. And so if they have a bad year next year, people are going to, people are definitely going to look at him. It is a they 10 and six. Look. It is a 10 and six scheduled between two, six and tens. Yeah. So if they have another sub 500 season, heads are going to roll. It probably won't be Gase, but it probably will be Tannenbaum. So now you've got the powers that be, you know, 
they should be worried about what's the best way to build a long-term plan towards having this team be a perennial contender for the Super Bowl three, four years down the line, and then for a decade. But they can't even worry about anything past next year because they don't know if they're going to have a job. And that's where you need to have your perspective going into the offseason and say, and that's where you need to be honest. And you need to say, look, if we go 6-10 and 10 next year, it's okay. We're going to keep these guys because we're going to have a long-term plan. The problem is I don't believe that that's what's happening at all. I see the same thing that's happened over and over again, which is if they don't make the playoffs next year, Tannenbaum's getting fired and then we've got a new GM and the new GM's got a guy who he didn't pick to be the head coach and then you're going to have that friction for a year and then if they don't make the playoffs the next year then you've got the new GM's got to pick his new head coach and now you have a totally new regime and you're three years down the line and the team that you've built to win now is now in salary cap hell two, three years down the line. And now you need a total rebuild and a GM that wants to do that. In, I'm not saying that this team needs a total rebuild right now, but if they make the wrong moves, if they try to put all their eggs in one basket and try to win and they try to win it all in 2018, I'm telling you, it's not going to work. And furthermore, if you don't win it all, if it doesn't work in 2018, it won't work in 2019, and by 2020, you'll be one of the worst teams in the league. Well, there it is. So that's what the Dolphins need to do in the offseason. You... I, 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 as things start breaking over there where you are, I got to say about that I had to reach for my drink and I didn't do the old bartender trick of, of pouring some salt on the, on the coaster. So the, the, the wooden coaster, you know, stuck to the glass and then it fell and that's the noise you heard. It's a disaster. Well, at any rate, you paint a very rosy picture. Uh, so let's close the show with this brain. Next year. We know exactly who the Dolphins are going to play. The Dolphins are obviously going to play home and away with the Bills, Patriots, and Jets in the AFC East. They're also going to play the teams from the NFC North and AFC South divisions. And they're also going to be playing the teams that uh, finished with their, uh, that finished third in the other two divisions in the AFC, those being the Oakland Raiders and Cincinnati Bengals. So, Brain, this is uh, the, who the Dolphins are going to play next year. Obviously, six games against the Bills, Patriots, Jets. They'll play home against Detroit and Chicago. Also, Jacksonville and Tennessee and Oklahoma, uh, not Oklahoma, Oakland coming to Miami. And away games, the Dolphins will be traveling to Green Bay, to Minnesota, to Houston, to Indianapolis, and to Cincinnati. So, before the offseason even happens, give us your prediction for 2018. <laughs> this is such a ridiculous exercise. Do it. You realize that, right? Of course it's a ridiculous exercise, but I mean, why this not is have a, a ridiculous exercise when you do it in the preseason. 
But to do it before this season even ends, that's truly remarkably ridiculous. This is an opportunity to uh, just let it all hang out. Okay. And, so here and we just go. see what happens. All right. We managed to beat the Patriots every other year. While in the years between, we get swept. So we're going to lose twice to New England next year. I think in the other four games between the Jets and the Bills, I think we'll split. So now we're two and four. The remaining AFC games, you've got what division? The AFC South? Yeah, you've got the AFC South. So Jacksonville, Tennessee, Houston, and Indianapolis. Who do we get at home? We get Jacksonville and Tennessee at home. I'll say we beat Tennessee at home. We lose to Jacksonville. Indy is interesting because you got to see what happens with Andrew Luck. But I say we we beat Indy in Indy. And then who am I? Oh, and in Houston? No, Houston's going to be good next yeah, year. Houston's We're going to lose to real Houston. Good. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to lose in Houston. Deshaun Watson's so, going to be a force to be reckoned with next season. Yeah, and they got they had so many injuries this year. Um, so now that puts us at four and six. You've got a home game against Oakland. I'm going to say that we'll win that. Jo- that's John Gruden's Oakland Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I guess we'll see what kind of magic he can work with that offense. Uh, but I don't think it matters what I mean. That that offense is pretty good. It's the defense that's if it's, pretty If dreadful. his track record means anything, they're going to go to the Super Bowl and lose the year after he leaves. Hmm. Oh well, yeah. But then wherever he leaves, he's going to end up beating them in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> okay, so they get Oakland at home. They get who else at home? The Detroit and Chicago. No, I mean I'm in the A they get somebody from oh the Bengals. They they go at Cincinnati. At Cincinnati. Yeah, I'll say we lose that. So now we're at five and seven, and then we play the NFC North. We go to Minnesota and Green Bay. Yep. Those are losses. That's five and nine. And then we get home against Detroit and Chicago. Correct. Seven and nine. There it is. So the Dolphins are going to have a one-game improvement going into next season. I mean, this is the most ridiculous argument because not only do we not know what the Dolphins are going to do. We don't know what any next. of these other teams are going to do. We don't know what any of these other teams are going to do. Hey, we're just... I mean, it's ridiculous enough in the preseason because, I mean, we claim to know what these teams are, but we don't. there's always surprises and then there's always injuries. So we don't know who these teams are going to draft, who they're going to sign, who they're going to let go, who they're going to trade. It's, it's pointless. But yeah, I what what I'll say. It's a fun. It's I feel a fun pretty confident game to play. that you could have told me that you, you could have just asked me the question without telling me the schedule. What are the Dolphins going to finish next year? And I just said, eh, that'll be somewhere around eight and eight. Yeah, well, because they're going to finish seven and nine or eight and eight. Maybe if we're lucky, nine and seven. But we know it's going to be in that range because they are the same old Dolphins. Brain, this has been a fun season doing no, this show. No, it hasn't. It's been awful. No, I meant doing the show. Yeah, the show. You know, the show's fun. The show's fun. 
The season, the season, but it was watching, hard to do watching like, football you know, wasn't we, a lot of fun. You know, we've been doing, this was the first year that it was Dolphins only. Right. That's correct. And I was excited about that. Yes. But this was such a bad season. I know. It really. It was really like, it was a chore. <laughs> yeah. I think lesser people, lesser people, people that were not as strong and as you know, already beaten down by the Dolphins than us would would toss up their hands and say, I'm not doing a Dolphins podcast anymore. I can't, I can't watch this team and talk about them every week. But we've been doing this nonsense for years. We just haven't been recording it. So Yeah, well, we've been, we've been mixing in, you know, a couple of other, we've been able to talk about some good teams here and there. Yes, that, I mean, in o- over the years on our, Former podcast, we would talk baseball, we'd talk basketball, we'd talk a little soccer, talk a little hockey, talk a little pro wrestling. But now we're just talking about the Dolphins, and this is the reward we get. But you know what? It's okay. Because at some point, we're going to get to the offseason, and hopefully things will start to look optimistic for the Dolphins. And And I'll say... You know, and the one sort of move that is on the horizon is that it's starting to look like maybe there's a possibility that this team decides to wash their hands of Jarvis Landry, or he decides to wash his hands of the Miami Dolphins, one way or the is other. That a, is that? I mean, way to just drop a bomb at the end of the show. We're wrapping up, and then we're gonna just drop a bomb that oh, it's positive that we're gonna talk about Jarvis Landry. I'm not saying now. it's a positive. I'm not saying it's a positive necessarily, but I could see where. Not having all that money tied up in Jarvis Landry could be a good thing. That's all I'm saying. But so I, I think that's probably one of the things that's going to be one of the balls that's going to drop soon. So, all right. Well, I mean, look, I know it's the end of the season and we're wrapping up and we're saying this is the end of the show. But you bring this up now and this is something that, you know, honestly, I wanted to talk about, but we got sidetracked as happens so often but look it's our last show so you know something comes up we gotta we gotta tackle this so let's say all right well let's say do you sign Jarvis Landry yes or no yes okay and let's say he wants to be He wants $15 million a year and it's a, a four year deal. And I don't know, $40 million guaranteed. And that's what it takes to get him. Do you sign him? That's a lot of money. Do you sign? I think, I think you do. Primarily because Devontae Parker has been such a disappointment this season. And that leaves you really with Kenny Stills as the only known quantity in your receiving core. I agree. I have gone back and forth on the Jarvis Landry thing. What I've seen from Jarvis Landry and what I saw from Jarvis Landry this season, while the yardage was still, while the yardage was down this year. 
the touchdown that has, that has well, less to do with Jarvis Landry and more to do with who was throwing him the football. I believe it has to do with the offense as a whole. Well, sure. Because remember, for half the season, they couldn't even run the ball. And that also affected his yardage. Because, I mean, it affected his yardage because he basically became the running game for the first half of the season. And part of that maybe is flawed in the game plan. You know, that's something that changed somewhere over the course of the year, especially after the JHI trade, uh, when the, the running backs became more of a threat as pass catchers out of the backfield, there was no longer than as much of a focal point of Jarvis Landry with the wide receiver bubble screen. You started to see Landry do a little bit more work in the, in the intermediate routes and even a couple of downfield routes. The thing is, is that Jarvis Landry is the best player on the Miami Dolphins offense. And not only that, I believe that Jarvis Landry is a top 10 receiver in this league. And while strictly going on the numbers might not prove that argument very well, it it would probably be a losing argument for me to say that Jarvis Landry is a top 10 receiver in the league when you look at the numbers. I believe that if you put him in a competent offense with a really good quarterback, I believe the numbers will follow. And he is young. He is just entering the prime of his career. He is not just the most talented player on the on the offense, but he's also the emotional leader. Now, we've heard some questions come out. Um, Adam Gase, in his postseason press conference, um, made some veiled remarks about the lack of leadership on the team. And um, there were some rumblings over the course of the year, you know, around the same time that the Jay Ajayi trade happened, that – you know, Jarvis Landry was one of the guys that was being questioned by Adam Gase. But what I'll say is, week in and week out, I don't see another guy on the team that that wants it more than Jarvis Landry. And so I see a guy with that talent at that age, with that desire and work ethic, at least on Sunday, and I say – if it like that's a guy you got to build around and you got to find a way to make it happen. Now, do I think he should be the highest paid receiver in the league? No, I don't think that even he would say that. But I think that there's an elite group of receivers. You're Antonio Brown's and, and honestly, Antonio Brown is an amazing receiver. But I don't know that Antonio Brown is head and shoulders above Jarvis Landry. Because I think if you put Jarvis Landry on the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, he could probably put up similar numbers. But I digress. We'll say that Antonio Brown is, you know, the gold standard. We'll say you're Des Bryant, you're Julio Jones, you're A.J. Green, probably DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr., and there's probably one or two other guys. Maybe you're Mike Evans. After those guys, Jarvis Landry is right there. So to me, you're talking about 
unquestionably a top 10 receiver in this league and the best slot receiver in the league, bar none. He play, Basically, he plays his role and his position as well as anybody else in the league. You just got to find a way to make it happen. You got to find a way to, to make that work. And this is a guy that needs to be built around and not jettisoned because if you're trying to win in the next three to four years, I just don't see how you're going to do it without having an elite quarterback, without having an elite receiver. And I don't know that. I mean, I, I guess the answer there would be have an elite defense and an elite running game. But I think we're so far away from that. I just I, I think you got to find a way to make it work with Jarvis Landry. There it is. I think that's going to wrap us up for the 2017 season. Unless you drop another bomb on us. I don't know that I've got any other bombs to drop at the moment. But I think, so as we head into the offseason, obviously the show is going to go on a little bit of a hiatus here. Um, I think we'll probably come back as we get a little bit closer to draft time. I'm not a big draft guy, but uh, I think... It's going to be an interesting time for the Dolphins and an opportunity for them to make some moves with, I mean, granted, as the picking 11th in the draft is not as good as I think maybe we would have been hoping or we would have thought was possible at some point earlier this season, but it looks like the Dolphins are going to have the opportunity to to do some good in this draft. And I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue around the kind of picks that the Dolphins are going to make. So as we get a little closer to that, we'll probably talk about what are the needs, what is most likely, what are they going to do. We'll do a show to talk about that. We'll probably do a show on the other side of the draft as well, taking a look at some of the draft picks that the Dolphins made and how those players are going to impact the team. And then uh, we'll be back. Of course, if anything major happens over the course of, the offseason will be back with the show. If the Dolphins somehow end up deciding they're not going to re-sign Jarvis Landry, we'll probably pop in to, to talk about that. Um, if there's anything that, you know, anything else wacky that occurs, if anybody is snorting a powdery substance in the in the coaching facility, we'll, we'll probably talk about that as well. We'll come back. Um, but then we'll be back towards the end of training camp to start looking forward to the season. We're... We're in hopefully at some point it's a good off season and we can have something to get excited about as we move into 2018 and we can try to uh, improve on not just the six and 10 record that we had this season, but the seven and nine record that the brain predicted with absolutely no context uh, ahead of next year. In the meantime, brain, tell the people where they can find you. In the meantime, you can find me. At Aaron the Brain on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Amplified to Rock. Follow the show at Same Old Dolphins and follow Bad Bruno. They're the band that uh, allowed us to use their punk rock version of the Dolphins fight song that you hear at the beginning and the end of every episode of the Same Old Dolphins show. So follow them at Bad Bruno Punk. Once you've done that, hopefully by now you've gone over to iTunes and subscribed to the show. You can 
download and rate the show over there too. We'd love for you to leave us a rating, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. It helps us out a lot and it'll give us uh, something to think about as we move through the off season. You could follow us on SoundCloud as well. We're over there and uh, there's an RSS feed in the podcast notes every week so that you can download us wherever you get your podcasts. So that's it for the 2017 season. Thank you very much for for spending time with us this season and for lending us your ears every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Obviously, we we had high hopes of trying to be able to get two shows out to you every week. Um, it proved to be a little bit more difficult than we thought with uh, us being in different states and, you know, real life getting in the way. It was a little tough, but we, we did it when we could. And when we couldn't, we Got a, a solo show out to you. We got it done anyway. So uh, we hope that you enjoyed spending time with us, even as this season was a rough one for your Miami Dolphins. Hopefully next year will be a little bit better. In the meantime, enjoy the NFL playoffs. Enjoy the college football fake national championship game between Georgia and Alabama because your actual national champions are the undefeated UCF Knights. Go Knights, charge on. And uh, we hope you enjoy the Winter Olympics coming up. What are all kinds of great things going on between now and the next time the Dolphins play meaningful football. So we hope that you'll enjoy all of those things and then join us right back here on the same old Dolphin show when we come back next season. For Aaron the Brain, this is Amplified to Rock. This is Josh. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins! Dolphins!